So it was about two months ago, Pastor Dave reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to preach on this Sunday, January 1st. And you know, it's an honor because clearly the first Sunday after Christmas is like the most highly sought after Sunday, right? The biggest crowds, like bigger than Easter. Uh, And so normally I jump on the opportunity to preach. I don't get to do it too often. I really enjoy it. So normally it's an automatic yes. But, you know, I was like, oh, we're trying to do this kind of laid back service, have less volunteers. I'm going to have some other roles. And that was part of the reason. Part of the reason was like, oh, I don't really want to write a sermon the week after Christmas. Kind of just like to take it easy. So I turned him down. I said, no, I don't think I can do it. And yet here I am. (laughs) About two o'clock yesterday afternoon, I get a phone call from Pastor Dave and uh, a poor guy just tested positive for COVID. So he's feeling all right. I haven't checked in with him this morning. Um, it, it, symptoms weren't too bad yet. Got exposed, you know, during the, the holiday gatherings. Um, but yeah, he is unable to be here today. So that is not our sermon today. Uh, that was his sermon. It was a great sermon. I read the outline. It's good. But it's just, there's something weird about giving someone else's sermon. So I scrambled together, kind of dusted off an old youth group one, kind of redid it a little bit. And instead, our new sermon title is, look at that graphic. I mean, woo. So uh, that, we're going to talk about what it means to be a better friend in 2023. Um, so also, I think some of you grabbed some uh, sermon notes uh, before we uh, took them away. So those are now limited edition. You could probably sell those on eBay after the service. Uh, otherwise, there's, not, uh, there's no sermon notes for my sermon. Um, and then sermon slides will be at a minimum. Um, so it's going to kind of, we're going old school today. Uh, it'll be fun. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, we'll see what the Lord has in store for us. Uh, dear God, we thank you uh, for, uh, for this day. We thank you for another chance to worship you in this new year. Uh, and God, we pray for our gathering today. We thank you uh, that you are a God who have given us creative minds and adaptability, uh, that, that we can—we uh, thank you that you've given us a, a staff that, uh, at, at this church that we can move pieces around even last minute and still uh, put together a service that honors you. We thank of Pastor Dave. We pray for him. We pray that his symptoms stay mild, uh, that he feels better very soon, that this is uh, not a major case. We pray that he'd be able to get back into the swing of things soon. We pray that you would encourage him as he's had a rough season of sickness. God, I pray that you would draw near to him uh, and, and, and give him some encouragement. God, we pray for our time together now. We pray uh, that you would uh, speak to me, through me, uh, that you'd speak to all of us, that you would open our ears and our hearts uh, to what you have to say for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Americans have a friendship problem. According to a recent uh, Census uh, Bureau study, uh, between the years 2010 and 2013, the average American spent about six hours a week with friends. And that number was pretty stable, going all the way back to like the 1960s. That you could pretty much draw a straight line. On average, an American would spend about six hours a week with friends. Starting in 2014, we started to see a pretty steep decline that in 2019, remember, this is the year before the pandemic, so we can't blame that, the average American was only spending four hours a week with friends. That's a 37% decline in just five years. And of course, the pandemic only made the problem worse, and in 2021, 
America, the average American was only spending two hours and 45 minutes with friends in a week, a 58% decline in just eight years. And of course, what's really interesting about this survey is that, that they asked them, well, what are you using that time for now? And what they saw is that time was not being transferred to family or friends or even work per se, but rather it was just that people were spending more time alone by themselves. And perhaps it is most notable that in 2014, the same year that we see this decline really start, uh, that happens to be the same year that the amount of people in America who, have, who own a smartphone crossed the 50% threshold. And so as p- smartphones became more and more common, as more and more people had them, we started spending less and less time with other people. And what's fascinating about this is that, well, smartphones can connect us and social media and all of that. Um, at the end of the day, as you look at all these surveys coming out now, people in America are reporting record highs in the loneliness that, that, that they feel, the isolation that they feel, and the depression that they feel. And, of course, the study also tried to figure out, well, what's to blame? And not that we're not going to look at that too much today, but I thought it was interesting. They've pointed to three main factors. Uh, none of this will be a surprise. It was uh, the increase in political polarization. It was the increase in social media. And just in general, the increase in new technologies all led to this issue that we are currently facing, where we are more connected than ever before, and yet we've never felt lonelier. And so what I want to suggest for us today that each and every one of us should add one more resolution to our list this year. Maybe it's your only one. Maybe it's like the 10th one on your list. But regardless, I think this one should go to the very top because it could radically change your life, the lives of the people around us, and even our church. And the resolution is simply this. I am going to be a better friend in 2023. And I have four ways for us to dive into that and look at that, how we can be better friends in this new year. The first one is this, good friends take the initiative. Uh, And perhaps what's one of the greatest uh, examples of friendship recorded in the Bible, let's turn to Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 17 to 39. It's a familiar story. You've probably heard it before, uh, but I'll go ahead and pick up at verse 17. One day, when Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Uh, Sorry. And it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And so they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe as they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. 
So here we have this group of friends, four guys, one of them being paralyzed, desperately wanting to take their friend to see Jesus because they've heard how Jesus was, was healing people, performing these miracles. And, and so they, they tried to get in, and yet the house was surrounded. Uh, and so instead of going through the crowd, because that was impossible, they went through the roof. Now, I have to ask you, do you think uh, their friend that was paralyzed asked their friends to, to tear apart that guy's roof and lower him into the building? Probably not. I mean, we don't know for sure, but I'm guessing no, right? I'm guessing the, the friend who was paralyzed was like, well, thanks for trying, guys. Uh, maybe, maybe next time. But his friends did not stop there. That wasn't good enough. They saw that their friend was in need of help. They saw uh, how desperate their friend was, and they took the initiative to make a way for him to see Jesus. Good friends take the initiative, right? When they see their friends in crisis, they don't wait for their friends to ask them for help, but they they go to work immediately, right? They're bringing a meal over. They're, they're making that phone call. They're, they're going to the funeral visitation or, or whatever it might be. They, they are doing everything they can to comfort their friends, to help their friends, to take the initiative. But, you know, in some ways, it's easy to, to really take the initiative during a moment of crisis, right? But it's harder to take the initiative in our friendship on the day-to-day level, right? It's, it's, it's kind of easy to forget to return that phone call or forget to return that text. Or I have friends that I love dearly who are my best friends, and we will go months and months and months with no communication, right? It's, and even I have friends that live nearby, and we will still go months and months without being able to get together, right? Because we're busy. We have busy lives. There's a lot going on. But my, my argument really is that if you want good friendships— You can't wait for a crisis moment to take the initiative. Absolutely do it then. But we need to commit to prioritizing friendship even now on the day-to-day level. We need to take the initiative to invite people over to our house for a meal, right? To write that note of encouragement, to make that phone call on our drive to work to catch up, to, to return that email or that text, to do whatever we can in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of everything that's going on in our lives, to prioritize friendship because we know it is an investment that will be worth it. Because when that moment comes in our life, when we have a crisis, right, do you have someone that you can call at two in the morning, Right? Do you have someone that you can drop the kids off to real quick? Do you have someone who would tear a hole in your roof if it meant that it would help you? Right? Do you have that kind of friendship? Because that's what we should be striving for. But that takes work. That's, that's the long game, right? And so, good friends, take the initiative even in the small things. The second thing that good friends do is that they forgive. Good friends forgive. Uh, let's turn to... Uh, The Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21, uh, verses 15 to 17, and then part of 19. Uh, You'll also probably know this story. Uh, So actually, let me set it up. Uh, So this takes place after Jesus is resurrected. Remember, Peter was one of his closest disciples, right? They were good friends. They were best friends, most likely. Peter was in Jesus's inner circle. And yet, when Jesus was arrested, and when he was about to be uh, crucified, uh, some people went to Peter and they asked him, hey, you know Jesus, right? You're friends with him. And three times Peter said, no, I don't know that guy. No, what are you talking about? That's not me. So in Jesus's great moment of need, Peter let him down. He betrayed him. He denied knowing him. And so and then let's come to this scene here after Jesus was resurrected. 
After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus eventually went on to say, follow me. And in that simple act, Jesus restored him. He restored the friendship. He forgave Peter. And and not only did he forgive Peter, right? But he told Peter, you are going to be the rock that I build my church upon. That he put him back in the status he was in before. Good friends forgive. I'm sure each and every person in this room has a story about a time that they were hurt deeply by a good friend. A time when they were betrayed. A time when they were let down, disappointed. A time when a friend maybe even stabbed you in the back. Right? And so often we are quick to just kind of dismiss friendships when that happens. To just kind of call it quits. Move on. But what the Bible shows us is that good friends forgive. And part of that is because we have been forgiven, right? If we have been forgiven of our sins, if God has forgiven us, then we are called to forgive the people around us as well. Not only that, but we should do it because we know eventually we're going to be the ones that hurt people. We're going to be the ones that lets down a friend. We're going to be the one who, who stabs a friend in the back. It's only a matter of time. That is, unfortunately, the cost of human friendship. It's not always uh, uh, pleasant. It's not always fun. There are hard moments in the midst of those friendships. There are are moments of of deep anger and, and deep hurt. And yet, over and over again, our tendency should be to forgive, to seek reconciliation, to try to make it work. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some friendships that will need to end, right? There, there are some people in our life that uh, we cannot be friends with, right? The hurt is too much, and, and I don't think we have to get into that. But that sort of uh, severance should be a last resort, not a first resort. That our first resort should be to try to make it work. And, you know, you'd be shocked at how many times, even in our own friendship circle, that we'd have one friend upset with another friend, and, and the, the friends were oblivious to it, right? Because those who were hurt didn't didn't vocalize it. They didn't tell them why they were hurt. They were just, they were hurt and they've just internalized it and and they, they just refused to move on from it. That if we want to seek reconciliation, if when you are hurt, you need to go to the person who hurt you and tell them that they hurt you, right? It's such a simple thing. And yet so often we don't do it. So often we get mad, we internalize it, we just stew in it and, and nothing ever happens. And we wonder why nothing ever happens. It's like, well, you're not going to the source of the problem. That Jesus here, in his example, he went to Peter. There's, it's not a coincidence that Jesus asked him three times if uh, Peter loved him, because it was three times that Peter denied him, right? But we need to give friends a chance uh, for reconciliation. We need to be willing and able to forgive. It is what we are called to do as believers, and our friendships will be stronger for it as well. Uh, Our next one, point number three here on how to be a good friend in 2023, is that good friends are not just friends with their friends. Good friends aren't just friends with their friends. Uh, You know, one of the biggest critiques of Jesus when he was alive on earth, 
uh, was about the people he spent time with, the people he had meals with, right? The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people with disabilities. Over and over again, Jesus was friends with people that no one else wanted to be friends with. Too often, in today's age, Christians are known more for the people they are against than who they are for. Too often, we put people into camps of us versus them, or the, tr- the groups of people, the tribes that we associate with, and the groups of people, the tribes we don't associate with. But that is not what we are called to do. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, he says this, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. That last line is so convicting, right? If you are kind to only your friends, how are you different than anyone else? We as Christians are called to live differently than our culture, right? To live differently than the world. And so often that comes across as self-righteous. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to watch that movie. You know, that's, that's sinful. Or I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's not okay. But we fail to live differently in the ways that would truly be revolutionary and countercultural. Loving your enemies is not easy, and yet it would not go unnoticed, right? That would be tremendously impactful in this day and age, especially in this political polarization that we've seen, right? Where, where people on opposing sides of the aisle are at more at odds with each other than ever before. You know, this last week, I, um, we spent a couple days up in Michigan. Uh, we had uh, some of Keeley's family was in town, including uh, her brother and his three boys uh, and his two oldest boys. It's an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and they've just really gotten into sports. Uh, and so they have their favorite teams. It's not a coincidence that all their favorite teams are like the really good teams right now, right? Because that's what we all do when we first pick our favorite team. We just pick who's ever doing the best. Uh, and of course, the whole week, they just nonstop gave me grief over being a Cubs fan and a Vikings fan. You know, the Vikings are doing pretty good this year, but especially the Cubs. They just hounded me on it. Why? Because the Cubs have been awful this year, right? And so it's just easy pickings. Uh, But also, right, in their world, like, their sports identity is their identity, right? And so people who aren't on the same team, aren't fans of the same team as they are, like, they're in opposing camps, and and there's real tension there. And and it's funny, like, I, I recognize, I saw it, I observed it all, and I was like, holy cow, that's exactly what I was like when I was that age, like to a T. I remember the fights I'd get into friends. I remember how annoying I'm sure I was to my uncles who were Bears fans and, and like all these different things. And I remember like what a big deal it was. And I also remember right through high school, like how upset and even probably in the college and post-college, Kelia could attest how like if the Vikings lost a big game, it would ruin my week. Like it, it would, it wasn't just like I was bummed after the, the, the game or the next day. Like for a week, I would be irritated. I'd be mad. I'd be frustrated. And I finally had to kind of look at that and be like, you know, I don't think this is healthy. <laughs> like, and that's not saying that sports are bad, right? That's not like, but it's like, this is, this is taking a hold of me in a way it shouldn't be. This is, this is impacting the way I view other people, 
right? This is causing me to, to have tension or fights or arguments with, with other people, and that's silly. And so while eventually, you know, I got to the point where I, I could like, I feel like I'm, I'm there now, right? Where I, I love the Vikings, I love the Cubs, I watch their games, and I'm bummed when they lose, and I might be bummed for that day, but I'm able to kind of brush it off pretty easily. But I, for a while there, I had to realize, you know what? I think I need to sit out sports fandom for a little bit here. I need to bow out here. This isn't healthy for me. And perhaps... When it comes to politics, Christians might be in the same place. That if we are supposed to look different than our culture, if we are supposed to live differently, to be radically different, and we see that one of the biggest problems our culture is facing right now is how polarized we are when it comes to politics, that perhaps the most radical thing we could do, perhaps the most countercultural thing we could do, perhaps the most loving thing we could do is to care less about who is in the White House, to care less about the latest election cycle, and simply bow out. Because we realize that a faith that survived the uh, persecution from the Roman Empire, a faith that grew from just a few hundred people to now the millions and millions around the world today, will surely survive whatever party is in the White House. Perhaps it's time for us to sit out. If your politics is causing you to be angry towards other people, towards groups of people, if you're starting to lose perspective on it, if you're starting to act like a nine-year-old boy who's a Chiefs fan, (laughs) it might be time to sit out for a little bit until things cool down and we gain some perspective. Good friends are not just friends with their friends. They're friends with people who irritate them. They're friends with people who disagree with them. They're friends with people who have opposing views on hot-button issues. But they see them not as an enemy, not as an opponent, not as us versus them, but they see them as a child of God. Someone created in his image, someone who was deeply loved by God, someone who Jesus died for, and someone who we are called to love as well. That when they see us, they should see a reflection of God's love for them. And we can't do that if we're spending the whole time yelling at them about how wrong they are. We should be friendly with everyone. And that friendliness should not just be one of politeness, but real authenticity. That we should go out of our ways to help people who we don't necessarily like, but we know it's what we are called to do. Good friends are not just friends with their friends. When I gave this message uh, to the youth group, what I told them is, you know, one way you could do this is to sit at a different table at lunchtime. And I know what I was asking them to do. I was asking them to do the impossible, right? Can you imagine? I mean, if you can think back to your grade school days, sitting at a different table in a cafeteria room, like that is unheard of. That is radical. That is countercultural. But that's, I think, what we need right now in this world. Something radical, something countercultural like that. And then finally, our fourth point. Good friends value meaningful and authentic relationships. Good friends value meaningful and authentic relationships. In the incarnation, right, we just celebrated Christmas. You know, the incarnation is, is the belief, the doctrine that, that God became man, right? That, that Jesus did not come, did not save us from afar while watching from a distance, but rather he came up close and personal. It's probably best summed up uh, at the beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, when it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. I love that. Made his home among us, right? He didn't come as a visitor, right? He set up camp. 
that God, when he wanted to save all of creation, all the universe, all of mankind, he came and made his home among us. He came and met us right where we are at. The incarnation shows us how much God loves us, but I also think it gives us insight into what we as humans need and how we function. We need relationships. We need connection. And not from afar, but up close. We need to be seen. We need to be known. We need to be embraced for who we are. When we do not have these kind of relationships where we are loved unconditionally, we suffer for it. When we are not a part of that kind of embodied community, that kind of incarnational community where people come together, they meet each other where they're at, they're spending time together, we are worse off for it. You see, we need to realize that there was other two problems that the study pointed to, right, on why our friendships are suffering so much, that social media and technology, that while social media can be a really good thing and technology can be a really good thing and we've made so many incredible advances, digital is not a one-for-one replacement within person. Digital can be good. It can be really good. But it is not a one-for-one replacement. And, you know, let me just say this. that there, there are some people who they need that digital because it's their only sense of community they might have, right? For our, our shut-ins, for people with disabilities, for people who are even financially constrained and, and really are just kind of uh, have to stay in the home where they're at. That there are people who our online church is a real and effective ministry for them. And that's why we're, we'll never get rid of our online stream or anything like that because we see the purpose it serves. But you probably also won't see us investing much more into it, right? Because while we recognize the value of digital, we know that in-person is probably the better option. That Christians throughout the history of the church have recognized the value of these close-knit communities. They recognize the value of of those kind of friendships, right? Um, The tools that we use shape us. They have an impact on us. The smartphone that we carry in our pocket holds incredible power, incredible access to information and misinformation, right? What we hold in our pocket, basically something that all of us have probably only had for about 10 years now at the most, is more power, more access than most of human civilization could have ever imagined or dreamed of. It clearly has an impact on us. It clearly has an influence on us, whether we realize it or not. And so, yes, these digital connections can help us keep in touch with long-distance family and friends. And, you know, it's, I just know it's so nice for our, uh, my parents and Keely's parents to be able to FaceTime with kids. And, and so I'm not saying they're all bad. They have their, their purpose. And yet, I do not think it's a coincidence that as smartphones became more and more common, we saw people's loneliness and isolation increase more and more. The kind of friendships that we are striving for meaningful and authentic, to be known, to be loved, uh, those, those friendships and moments of crisis, all of that, they are hard to cultivate in a digital world. It is just hard to make that happen. No, instead, we need to prioritize real community in person when it's possible. If you look at the church in Acts, that's what kind of community they had, right? Where they were uh, caring for each other. They were selling everything they had to support each other. They lived close by each other. They had a community where they were known, where they were loved, right? The church has always recognized the importance and value of this kind of community. 
And, that, and that's because the church is supposed to be a place where you can find a community where no other community will embrace you. Right? If someone isn't, feel, if someone isn't welcomed at a church, where on earth are they going to be welcomed? When people see the church, they should see a place that welcomes them, that loves them and embraces them, despite their failures. Our whole culture is screaming about how desperate they are for meaningful connection and relationship. It is by far the culture's greatest need right now. And it's at this moment where the world's greatest need is immediately met by the mission of the church, right, to draw people in near to each other to help form that kind of friendships, those kind of relationships, that kind of connection both with God and his people. And we have to ask ourselves, are we ready to meet the moment? Are we ready to capitalize on this? Are we ready to be a beacon of light in this dark and lonely world? We, we want ACC to be a friendly and welcoming place, but also a place of meaningful, life-giving, and life-changing connection. This is the moment for us as believers to put aside our differences and come together. It is not a time for us to yell at the world about how wrong they are, but rather a time for us to yell to the world that there is a place for them here, that they will not be judged and condemned, that it doesn't matter what their job is or how much money they make or who they vote for or what side of the latest hot button issue that they're on. The only thing that matters is that they are deeply loved by a God that sees them and knows them. It is a God who is the ultimate friend, Right, the one who took the initiative and loved us while we were still sinners. The one who forgives us even when we sin over and over again. Right, it is the God who over and over again loves his enemies. And he loves those who don't love him back. It is a God who came to be with us and form a meaningful connection with us. This is the gospel and this is what we have for a world that desperately needs it. Are we up to the mission? That's why I want us to work on this this year, because I think it's not only good for you individually, I think it is, but it's good for our community and it's good for this church if these are the kind of relationships we're developing. So what are some practical tips? We have just a minute or two. Uh, let's go through them fairly quickly. But here are some practical ways uh, that I think we can do this. Uh, number one, Keep track of how many hours you are spending uh, with friends in a week. See how you compare. So if six used to be the average, and that was the stable average, just maybe for the month of January, see how you do. Now I know it's winter in Chicago, and no one goes out and does anything, so uh, hours are skewed a little bit. But keep track, right? You can't really solve a problem until you know what ex how uh, big the problem is. So keep track of how many hours, on average, you are spending with friends in a week. And then once a month, invite someone over for a meal. Once a month, or go out to eat, but once a month, make sure you prioritize getting together, sharing a meal with someone. And then another one, maybe once a week, make a phone call. Take advantage of that commute to work. Take advantage of washing the dishes or doing whatever chores. I, you know what was a game changer for me? I bought uh, some of those wireless Bluetooth headphones, and they're pretty cheap now. And it's just so easy to put that in my ear. My hands are still free. I can still go about whatever I'm doing. But that way I can talk with someone. I can catch up with a friend that it's been too long. But make those phone calls, especially with those long-distance uh, friendships. And then when we are together with friends in person, put your phone away. Put your phone away. 
And I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Uh, and it's something I'm really striving to work on this year. But put your phone away. You have community right in front of your face. You don't need your phone. Just put it in a different room if you need to. Get one of those lockboxes, whatever you need to do. But when you are with friends, put your phone away. Uh, keep it simple, but be creative, right? So if you're having people over, you don't have to make a five-course gourmet meal. Go get pizza from Pizza Hut or something. Keep it simple. Don't let that be, don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good, right? The, the, the goal is not to have some fancy thing and really impress people. The goal is for community. And so if you need to get takeout, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. For, for parents with kids who are running all over the place, take advantage of those, those games, those practices. Probably whatever is happening on the court isn't all that exciting. Uh, talk with the, the parents of other kids and, 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 and make that work. Or, you know, parents of kids too— uh, you know, one thing Keely and I do that, that works pretty well is that we'll al- alternate on who gets to go out like after bedtime uh, to hang out with a friend, right? And so it's an easy way. We don't have to pay for a babysitter. We can't hang out together. And that's a bummer. But in this kind of season of life where we're at, it's a way for us to still maintain friendships, to cultivate friendships without it being a sacrifice for our spouse, right? It's not making uh, uh, Keely watch the kids even more, myself watch the kids even more. We do it after they're already in bed. So be creative, but keep it simple. Uh, and then three more here. Get out of your comfort zone, right? This will be uncomfortable at times, especially if you're trying to cultivate new friendships, but that's what you need to do. Get out of your comfort zone and then keep your friendship circle open. Um, no more bubbles, right? That was a thing during the pandemic. We had our little bubbles. Uh, it was nice. It was fun. But those bubbles are, are coming to an end. Keep your friendship circle open, especially at church here. And then finally, invest in ACC friendships. Invest in relationships right here. I mean, coworkers are great and, and you know, uh, parents of of your kids' friends, like all that is good too. But if we want this to be a church that is authentic, that is full of meaningful connections, that is friendly and welcoming, then we need to be friends with each other, right? And so look at the people you don't know in the room right now and get out of your comfort zone and invite them over for a meal. Get to know them. Join a small group, join a triad or a quad, whatever it might be, but invest here first when it comes to your friendships. It will pay dividends, I assure you, for yourself and for our church. Yes, I know this is a lot of effort. It's a lot of work. I I do get that. But I assure you, it is worth the investment. And I truly hope that 2023 is a year uh, where we form meaningful relationships and deeper connections. May we live different from our culture while providing a welcoming refuge to them in the midst of their loneliness.